over matter. Put your mind somewhere else and keep going. That little voice in your head is trying to stop you from getting to where you want to be. Be successful and keep moving forward. With your host and world-renowned strength and conditioning coach, Phil Delrue. So we are here. Where are we at right now, actually? Lake County, Florida. Love it. Elliot Hulse, he invited us over. Thank you for your hospitality, by the way. Mm -hmm. I do appreciate it. Decided to do a podcast. We've done some videos in the past, done some strongman training. Wanted to come out and see the new space, you know. And also, wanted to get the origin story a little bit more mm -hmm. on how you started. I know a lot of people do know, but the audience that we have here, some fighters, obviously some coaches, they want to know who Elliot Hulse is, really. And then we can go into some other details on some questions that I have, because it is my podcast. I get to ask those questions. Hey, bro. You know what I mean? Sounds good. All right, so let's start off from the beginning. So what... Um, started you off in fitness and training and trying to be the strongest version of yourself? I remember in kindergarten, mm. I was the only kid that could do push-ups, right? It's crazy. But I was doing push-ups and I was doing pull-ups and mm -hmm. I, could, I can do things that the other kids couldn't do. Mm -hmm. But it was mainly because I was partially raised by my uncle. My wow. uncle, my mother's brother, lived with us when I was a kid. Yeah. And he was a black belt in northern Shaolin Kung Fu. Nice. He was a, a marathon runner. He also did gymnastics. Mm. He was, a, he was a, a champion gymnast. And so when he came to live with us, I was like three, four years old. He'd have me and my brother in the basement doing push-ups and kicking the bag. And he used to chop bricks in half with his hands, cinder blocks. We had stacks of cinder blocks. And he would do this like breathing exercise. <laughs> and he would just come down, pow, and smash all these bricks. So here I was, a toddler, basically hanging out with Superman, chopping bricks, doing backflips. He would just, just randomly just sta do a standing backflip. That's crazy. So he was my trainer when I was a toddler. And when I got into high school, he came back into my life and he became a personal trainer in like 1993. Mm. This was uh, before personal training was yeah, a thing, yeah, unless yeah. you were in Hollywood or something like that. Sure. And so he was training people at a boxing gym in uh, Jersey City. Mm. And so he would come over on the weekends and about that time I was turning 14, 15 years old, I wanted to play varsity football. So he taught me how to use a barbell. My dad bought a power rack for our basement and a barbell and a couple plates. And he began teaching me and my brother how to lift barbells. Gotcha. And I gotta tell you, I fell in love. I was never really a good student. I was always a good athlete. I was always the fastest, always the strongest. That was a natural gift, plus the early training. Mm -hmm. But when I started lifting weights and the return on investment was like almost overnight, I was hooked. Mm -hmm. I remember the first time I had a, bath I had a, in a bathroom at home, uh, I used to cut my hair, you know, shave my hair, so I could see the back of my head. I could see my back because I had these mirrors that would come in this way, mm -hmm. and then we had a mirror in front. I remember, you know, several months after lifting, you know, you look in the mirror a lot, right? Like, as, as a young man, you know, it's like, wow, I'm starting, things are changing. But, you know, I see it every day. Mm -hmm. It wasn't until that day that I shaved my head, I turned the mirrors to look at my back, there was all these ripples across the, my back, and I was just mind blown. And so, you know, that was giving me dopamine hits left and right. I was like, this, yeah. this is exciting, this is happening. I get an immediate ROI on the hard work that I'm doing in the gym. I knew I was gonna do this for the rest of my life. What year was that again? How old were you? 
I was 14 years old. It was like 1993. Yeah, that's that's where I started right there at 14. My my uh, grandfather snuck me into a Gold's gym, and my grandfather was like 72 years old, and he he was benching, putting up like 245 for reps. <laughs> wow. And I'm like, this old man's really doing it. So I I. I Started looking at him, watching him, going to the going to the gym, and then you're reading up on Joe DeFranco, Louis Simmons, all that. And then I found your channel, and I was like, this guy's doing everything that I've learned, and I'm like, this guy's awesome. So it is great to actually hear this because seeing the correlation really is crazy. So going from there, so what happened after that? So yeah, he came over and started teaching us how to bodybuild and power lift. I was mm -hmm. doing power snatches, all kinds of stuff when I was in high school, and none of the other high school kids were really doing it. There was a weight room across the street. I mean, my high school was across the street. Gotcha. So there was a weight room there that the football players sometimes went in and used this universal machine. Uh -huh. They didn't have like barbells and dumbbells really? and free weights. Mm. 1993, bro. Was, yeah, I mean, yeah. bodybuilding was they, big. Then. I think they may have had like bench presses. Gotcha. But it wasn't like they were doing the things that you see people doing right now. Sure. It was still more bodybuilding oriented. Mm -hmm. So I was, I wanted to play varsity, so because I was younger, you know, I was a freshman, and all the other guys were big. I was, you know, small. And the summer that I was preparing to go into varsity, I transformed completely. I put on like 30, 40 pounds. I was eating like a bodybuilder. My uncle yeah. was teaching me all this stuff. And because I'm genetically gifted, it, I took to it right mm -hmm. away. You know, not everybody gets that result. Yeah. All my friends from the football team wanted to do what I was doing. Mm -hmm. So they would come to my house, which was across the street, literally. I lived across the street from the high school. And during the off seasons, they would come over to my house. I'd take them down into the basement. And it's just me and a bunch of you know high school kids pumping irons, so blasting funny. rap music and making noise yep, yep, down yep. in my basement. Uh, I had it in my mind that that's what I was gonna do for the rest of my life. My uncle was a personal trainer at that time. Like I said, it was, it was not a big thing. People weren't doing that. Mm. He introduced me to the idea that, well, of course, I can grow as an athlete through this weight training, but also he introduced me to the idea that I could have my own business on my own terms doing what I love. Because that's what he was doing. He was an accountant before that. Mm. And then he was like, ah, screw this, I can't do this anymore, I just want to be in the gym. I could imagine. Yeah. And so that was an inspiration for me also. Mm. So when I went to college, I played football, did real well because I was training real well. Mm. Uh, and then I wanted to be a strength coach. I went to graduate school for one year, Springfield in uh, Massachusetts. And um, I quit because they wanted me to go do an internship. I couldn't, I, couldn't, I couldn't make sense of it myself. I was like, wait a second. Yeah. I'm gonna pay you thousands of dollars, lots of money to go work for free for him over there. And not only that, I gotta pay for myself to get over there and I gotta figure out how I'm gonna live over there. I was like, you know what? Maybe I'm not gonna be a strength coach, mm -hmm. right? So I kind of gave it up at that, gave the idea of being a university strength coach, like mm -hmm. an official strength coach. Mm -hmm. But then, you know, of course, later on, I decided I was gonna be a, a, a personal strength coach, mm -hmm. a private strength coach. Um, and if you want, I could bridge the gap between you know college and there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that, People know a little bit, but they don't know the whole story. You know, I think that, and it's funny that you say that because we have similar paths. I, 
this guy right here grew up with me. I used to bring my friends over to my house, and we used to lift. We didn't have a bench. We had just a bar, and we were doing floor presses, but we didn't know we were doing floor presses. Found out that we were actually doing something right. <laughs> uh, so we ended up you know, working out, getting bigger, man. But it's funny how it correlates. But, yeah, I want to know, like, all right, so now getting into the – because you needed to run your business now at this point. Now it's like, all right, I know what I need to know to get people strong. Now it's like, how do I monetize this thing? Right. So it's interesting. I found my two lifelong loves in 1993, mm. lifting and my wife. Mm. I started dating my, she was my girlfriend at the time, little did I know. But when I dropped out of uh, grad school, I decided that, well, I started to become religious mm. at that time. And um, I knew that living together with a woman that wasn't my wife was living a sinful life. Mm. So. He, she had been my girlfriend for 10 years at that point, so we were like, let's get married. We got married, my parents moved to Florida, we moved down to Florida, and I went to work. I was working at a fitness gym, it's LA Fitness now, it was called Lifestyle Family Fitness. I, was, I got there and I worked seven days a week from open to close, because now I had a mission, right? We, we had our first baby, moved down here, I got a family. We decided very early on that I was going to work, she was gonna stay home. That was something that we committed to. I was like, well, I don't wanna pay for someone else to raise my child. Yeah. You stay home, even though she had a higher degree than me. My wife's 10 times smarter than me. Mm-hmm. But, she, but she uses that to raise the kids. You see her in there right now, homeschooling. Yeah, that's, a tough, that's a tough job, by the way. Yeah, she's homeschooling. So she's using, she's using her intelligence for, for, sure. for the greatest thing ever, mm-hmm. which is to pour it into the children. Mm-hmm. So I had to hustle. I had to work. I was going to make this happen. I started studying marketing Mm. when I was a personal trainer at the gym because I was charismatic and I had a good body. You know, the way you look is a big thing. Absolutely. In this industry. And then I started studying marketing. I rose to the top trainer within six months. Mm. And then my ego showed my pride got the best of me. And I was like, you know, I don't need these people. Why am I giving you half my money? Everybody's here to see me. Yeah. And so I said, I'm going to go out on my own. Mm. It was a struggle at first. It was very difficult. I remember having these conversations with Colleen about, well, we could leave the lights on or we could pay for groceries. Mm. We had those kinds of conversations. Yeah. Yeah. And so I'm grateful for those years. I wouldn't have done it any other way. Yeah, I feel like that, that gives you character, obviously. We talked about that. You know, the, the things that you go through in life is obviously going to make you a man down the line. So you have to go through some adversity in all aspects. We've gone through our fair share. Yeah. You know, and you showing, how old are you then? Probably like early 20s, right? 24. Yeah, yeah. I opened my first gym at 22 years old. Didn't yeah. know what the hell I was doing. <laughs> didn't know what I was doing. Didn't have yeah. QuickBooks. I didn't know, didn't know. I didn't. I don't think I had a bank account at this point. <laughs> I was putting money in shoe boxes. Yeah. You know, but I was just trying to get it how I live, you know? And for me, you know, learning on the fly, you know, I got the marketing books, I got the finance books, I figured it out, and now, you know, here we are. But, you know, with that being said, do you think that that gave you the understanding to level up in, in as far as growing your, I guess, your brand in a sense, and using platforms like YouTube and now Instagram and Facebook and all that? Yeah. Because that's what we had to do in the beginning. I know, I guess for me, it was Facebook. For you, it had to be what? Facebook too as well at that point. Well. 
I learned how to rank in Google real fast. Yeah, that's it. That's it. You, remember mm-hmm. back in the day, you yeah. make a website and in three days, it's on its first page on YouTube. Yeah. I mean, on uh, Google. Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh, I can build these uh, SEO websites. I mean, this is, you know, back in 2002. Mm-hmm. And Google was brand new. And all I had to do was put up a page mm-hmm. and it was number two. <laughs> and so uh, because of that, coupled with learning direct response marketing, mm-hmm. which basically means get someone to take action as quickly as possible on your page, mm-hmm. i.e. fill out this form, fill out this, you know, whatever it is, mm-hmm. I was able to get just enough clients to keep, to keep my ball rolling, to keep yeah. me going. Mm-hmm. And so um, I wanted my own place. I couldn't afford my own place. I didn't have enough clients. Uh, so I had a van. It was a family van. My, my father, uh, only car my parents ever bought because my dad fixes cars for a living, so he would always give us hand-me-down cars. Mm. But they bought a van, and it was you know a 1988 Ford conversion van, right? And mm-hmm. My friends used to make fun of me when they see me driving it. They'll say, that's your creeper van, I'm like a kidnapper <laughs> or something in this van. Was it white? Huh? Was it white? Did it have blacked-out no. windows? It was, it was black with blacked-out windows. <laughs> it looked like the 18 van. Yeah, there you go. Tell you the truth. That's nice. It's funny, that van, I had a lot of stories about that van. Uh, I broke the window, yeah. you know, the window on it, and so I had no window, I had no AC, mm-hmm. but my window was always open, and you know in Florida, sometimes it mm-hmm. rains. Oh yeah, definitely. So I would ha- I, like, had a piece of cardboard, I'd be driving Ooh. around, and when it was raining, I'd put a piece of cardboard up, oh, and I'm man. driving around with cardboard, <laughs> keeping me from getting wet. The, the gas gauge broke on it, Yeah. and you know, when you that's, don't have that much. You got a guess, you're looking at, you're looking at miles, you're like mm-hmm. equating time. <laughs> yeah. And, and you don't want to put gas in it because yeah. that costs money, oh, yeah. right? And that was back when Obama was in office, so, you know, gas was like $5 a gallon. <laughs> so, and there were many times where I had to push it. Yeah. I'm pushing this big van. But it was no big deal because that's what I was teaching guys how to do. Mm-hmm. I had my van at the park, and they would push my van for workouts. That makes sense. I had uh, sandbags, some used equipment, tire sleds, and I called it Strength Camp. Yeah. This was before, like, you know, all these boot camps, yep. you know, the people are doing. Yep. It's trendy now. I don't mm. know if so much anymore, but it was it was getting big for a while. Sure. But before boot camps was a thing, I had strength camp mm. and I was training uh, some athletes because that's really what my heart was in. I wanted to train football players, baseball players, so on and so forth. But then their dads, because we were doing something so different, you know, a lot of old, older guys, dads, they want to stay in shape. Yep. But then they go to the gym and it's boring. Yeah. Right? They got the machines and the treadmill, but they see me out there with their sons dragging sleds and flipping tires. And again, I don't want to brag, but I'm usually ahead of my time. Mm-hmm. We were doing strongman stuff before strongman was a thing. Yeah. Wow. And so it was exciting. It was like, what is this? I've never seen this before. It's like the guys on ESPN. Yeah. So they wanted to get involved, they wanted to do it. And so I started a men's strength camp. And so I was training the dads, I was training their sons all at the back of my van. And then um, then I was able, I had enough. Well, I didn't have enough. You know when the credit card companies send you those checks? <laughs> all you gotta do is sign it. Yeah. <laughs> um, Whoa, $1,000. So I got a $1,000 check in the mail oh, and I paid my first month rent yeah. at the first strength camp, which mm-hmm. is a little I saw warehouse we, gym. We, walked, uh, we drove by it that one day when I first met you. Mm-hmm. You were showing me, that was great. Yeah, I think um, you are, if I think about it now, you're ahead of you're ahead of your time, most of the time. You yeah. know, you know, you're ahead of the curve in a sense. You did that with with the strongman, YouTube, right? I think you know what I want to ask is this: like what we have here, what we're what we're standing in now, 
Um, but again, going back to the story at hand, then all of a sudden you blew up on YouTube. Yeah. Because, and if, mistake me if I'm wrong, but it was just to sell stuff at your gym, right? Yeah. To bring people in. Because what we were doing was so unique, I knew that if I made videos, the kids could show their friends. Mm. Hey, show your friend what you're doing here. Yep. And so I make little videos, I put them up, and I put on YouTube, I'll send them a link, and I said, tell their friends. I didn't, I didn't grow up with the internet. Mm. You and I, we didn't grow up with the internet. Mm. There was no such thing as YouTube famous or being a influencer. It just yeah. wasn't a thing. I didn't grow up thinking I'm gonna become a mm. social media famous. Uh, so I had, that wasn't in my mind at all. But I started to notice a lot of people watching these. Sure. And they would ask questions. Mm -hmm. And so I started Yo Elliot. Mm -hmm. I was like, you guys want to ask me questions? I got your answer. Mm -hmm. And so I, it was Yo Elliot. Yeah. And all I did was I stand in front of the camera and I just answer questions. Mm -hmm. And that blew up. Yeah, definitely blew up. So when you decided to really go full in, obviously the Ask Elliot thing was getting huge. This is when you're famous at this point. Mm -hmm. When did it get to be like, it had to be overwhelming at a point. And you were just like, all right, we need to, we need to calm down. I guess detach, do something different. Mm -hmm. When did you reach that point? Once again, pride. Mm. That's the one that gets me every time, right? Yeah. Especially, you know, when you're an athlete and you have discipline and you know you can make things happen, mm -hmm. at least for me, then I start taking credit for it and thinking that I could do no wrong. Mm -hmm. And so the pride started getting to me. I became addicted to people liking me because I was a golden boy for a little while. Yeah. And then when I, started becoming, I started showing my true colors, basically. I started becoming eccentric. I was like, well, if, if they like this, wait till they see what's underneath the cover. <laughs> and so I started a second channel called Elliot Hulse, where I was like, you guys like my strength questions. You ask me something about life, and I'll give you something that you never heard before. Yeah. I knew because I read a lot of books, and I have a, it's just the way my mind works. It's a little different. You say I have neurodivergency. That's what my kids call it. Mm. Dad, you have neurodivergency. I'm like, mm. all right, whatever that means. At least people like hearing me talk. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> I started making those kinds of videos, and I was catching some heat, and it bothered me because when you got a big ego, that's easy to pop. Yeah. And so uh, that you know, when people ask me like Elliot, what happened to Elliot? What happened? To Elliot? Well, God gave me a lesson. He smacked me down and humbled me so that I can do things the right way rather than leaning on my own strength and thinking that I'm invincible, right? Do you feel that that is, because we talk a lot about, I mean, we're leaders. That's why I'm here. That's why I connect with you. Um, young men nowadays, do they, do they need that type of, I guess, lesson in a sense? When you I have, think we all have different lessons learned. Mm -hmm. We have different lessons learned. And I think a lot of times, you know, they say where your wound is, that's where, you'll, that's where your growth is, right? Mm -hmm. The very thing that, um, we all got stumbling blocks. Oh. And so it's gonna be different for everyone. For me, like I said, it was pride. Uh, for some people it's, like for example, guys who can't take action, mm -hmm. right? Like I'm the opposite of taking action. I take too much action sometimes, I gotta stop. Yeah. There's some guys that like, you just don't take action. What is your problem? And so then that becomes the stumbling block for them, you know, so. Is it fear of failure, fear of success that they don't pursue? Or you think that they're just not, 
able to do it, capable of Fear doing it. Fear might have something to do with it too, but one thing that I think our generation, we're a little bit, we're like big brothers to the to the generation of men right now. Cause yeah. like, I like to say I'm an old millennial mm-hmm. because we're, we're not millennials, yeah. but we are, you know, you were you 1979? No, I'm actually, I'm 33. Oh, you're, so oh okay, wow, you are. 88. Okay, I'm older than you. But you're just like my boy Chris. You guys remind me of somebody older. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Y'all act and think and Barnard? behave a lot older. You talking about Barnard or? Yeah. Yeah. Yep, Chris Barnard. Uh, I always see him as like more wise and older than a lot of the guys his his age. Um, what was that? what was the question? I'm sorry. Just about you know, as far as how we how young men nowadays how they need to figure out their their place in oh. life now. Dopamine. Mm. We didn't grow up with the constant dopamine drip from the phones. True. And so a big Very part true. of what I'm seeing is, you know how like a drug addict can't do anything unless he gets his hit? Yeah. Because it's like, I need to feel good, right? Mm. I have to feel good if I'm going to do, I got to get that high mm. before I do anything. The phones, I think, create complacency because there's a false sense of achievement Every time you do the dumbest little thing. Yeah. Oh, here's a picture of me doing something mundane. Wow, everybody likes it. And it's just like, boom, boom, boom. Yeah. You know what also? Porn. Mm. Porn wasn't as uh, omnipresent as it is today. Mm. Porn and masturbation, like you know, the, the way young men are doing it today, yeah. it gives you a false sense of pride, a false sense of accomplishment. Hmm. So if you're sitting, have you ever heard, uh, uh, Stephen Arneo has got a great book. Hard times create strong men, and he has this, another. He has this another uh, example of this dopamine hit. But he has a great quote. He says, "Men solve problems. Video games solve men." Hmm. It's it's the dopamine addiction to the screen yeah. in all regards that I think keeps a lot of men trapped because there really is no impetus to get out there and achieve something mm-hmm. if I get a, a hit. Yeah. from playing with my phone. Yeah. There's no reason to go out there and deal with the challenge of women if I could just stay here and I could play with myself. It's an easy way out in a sense. Right. And it's right there at their fingertips. Right. The problem now that we have is that this isn't the end. You know, it's getting worse. And you look at it, you know, we got VR, you have, you know, things about the metaverse, stuff like that. It's not going to end. So where do we where do we draw the line with are young men i have a son you know and we mentor young men all the time not just young men but young women too as well but at the same time where do we draw the line and tell them okay this is this is what you need to do and this right here isn't acceptable for you to be an upstanding individual in society well boundaries that's what a father is father Mm -hmm. a father that doesn't have bound a father doesn't have rules. It's like it's like God didn't give us the Ten Commandments. Mm. Oh, well, what are you doing? You're not helping me here at all. You didn't tell me what to do or what not to do. A father is a boundary setter. Yeah. And so it's critical in any regard for a father to say, this is acceptable, this is unacceptable. For moms, it's a little different. I remember as a kid, though, my dad, I'm, I'm blessed and I'm grateful now. But my dad didn't grow up in America with all the effeminacy of the 1960s growing up, you know. He didn't grow up that way, he grew up in the jungle. He was running around barefoot with a, with a band of boys and they were just wild animals. So he, he, he understood the law of the jungle, that's how he grew up. So he comes here to Brooklyn and he's like, well, you know, I'm, I'm gonna raise my kids the way we did back home. 
And so I remember as a kid, my dad had too many rules. Now I say too many because I was a kid and I thought it was too many. My dad had a lot of rules mm-hmm. and I always had boundaries. And I remember my friends' dads were almost like not there. Mm-hmm. Like your dad didn't, you, you're allowed to do that. You could do it. And it was always the mommy that they referred to. Yeah. It was always mom. So we, we live in a gynocentric world where it's basically f- female ruled. Mm-hmm. And there's a reason behind that. I'm going to get into it. But my father came from a patriarchal society, which was father rules. You know, whatever's going on, you got to check with the father. So I was grateful to have experienced that. I rebelled against it when I was young. And when I first had my, my kids, I didn't set strong boundaries because I didn't want to be like my dad. Right. It's the dumbest thing ever. But I grew out of it. And so uh, about the right time, when my kids started getting to the point where they needed boundaries, I had an epiphany and an atonement with my father. And I realized, wow, what the world needs more now than ever before are strong, alpha male, boundary-setting fathers. So regardless of what it is that we're dealing with, your most powerful word is no. Especially when you got little girls, like, you know, little girls, you want, they're so cute, they're so sweet, oh, my, look, don't be fooled. Oh, yeah. You got to tell them, no, you can't wear that, mm. you can't go there, you can't be friends with that person that's not a good person. I wanted to talk to you a little bit about this red pill, blue pill thing going on. Yeah. Do you feel that this is something that we have to look out for, or is it just going to go by? It's the natural order of things. Mm -hmm. The red pill brought me back to the Bible. Mm -hmm. When I started reading like Rolo Tomasi, he was like the books that I started reading, Rational Male. And I started getting to the principles. I'm like, wait a second, this is in the Bible. The Bible says all this stuff. And then it starts to dawn on me, that's why the world is so anti-Christ right now, Mm -hmm. because it's gynocentric. Mm -hmm. And so red pill was just the way it, my dad was red pill. He don't have a name for it. There was no word for it because there's, there was no blue pill beta males in Belize because if you were, Mm -hmm. you get walked all over, right? It was very, you get spotted very easy. We live in a world because it's gynocentric that effeminate men, are they're, they're a dime a dozen and they can live pretty well without consequence. Mm. So when it comes to the, our language that we're using now to differentiate between an effeminate man and an, and an alpha male man, mm. it's only because there has been a perversion of what a man is. Mm. A man is an alpha male at birth. He's just been trained out of it. Yeah, if, if talk a little bit about effeminacy and your definition of effeminacy. You're actually the definition of effeminacy for those that don't know. So, according to Thomas Aquinas, the definition of effeminacy is an aversion to challenge, discomfort, but not only that, an attachment to pleasure. They seek the apparent good in all actuality, where they don't understand that what they're put on this earth to do has been almost brought to them it's in scripture in a lot of ways and we're sitting here and we share the same faith and i feel that a lot of men and a lot of a lot of people in general they always want to get that pleasure right right? they seek that pleasure they want it and uh they're not taking into account what their true purpose is in life And that's really what the issue is. It's more about what can I do today that's going to, you know, get me attention. Right. You know, attention seekers in a sense. 
and not get me closer to God. And that's an issue, I believe. And we need to we need to definitely fix that as leaders in mm-hmm. the environment that we're living in. Mm-hmm. Well, it's fleeting. All pleasure is fleeting. And you said not getting closer to God. But every day that clock is ticking and you're getting one close one day closer to meeting your maker. Mm-hmm. So we are getting closer to God in that regard. But we forget. We think we're going to live forever and we think our treasure is here. Mm-hmm. I think the most important thing, the most important thing for men to keep in consideration is that you're going to die. Mm-hmm. And there's eternity our lives are a drop in the bucket. Mm. There is eternity to consider. Now, if this is it and I get my pleasure here, the only way to con- make it consistent is if I become an addict. Mm. That's why we have so much addiction yeah. because I need a hit. I need a hit. I need a hit. But when we become detached from that and we rest our we we put our rest in the Lord, we put our rest in something that is omnipresent, ever-present, infinite. Mm -hmm. You can get infinite pleasure, joy with God, but you get just a little taste when you blow your load, Mm -hmm. or when you have that cupcake or cookie or you playing on your phone. All that, gone. It's gonna go when you go too. Mm -hmm. Let's switch gears a little bit and uh, talk about why you made the move to Obviously, this beautiful state, yeah. <laughs> you know, this is something that I've, I've walked up. We pulled up and like, damn, this is great. So why did you decide to move from St. Pete? Yeah. St. Pete's totally different, obviously. People mm-hmm. don't know. They're not totally different, but enough, mm-hmm. enough different than this. Suburbs. I wanted to be rural. Yeah. I, I, you told me you're done with traveling. You're done with moving around. You're good where you're at. You know, I think that's a man that's that's stable you know, in a lot of ways. Um, You have a family, you have been successful, you're successful now, what's next, you know? That's funny because what's next is the snare. What's next is usually the trap. What's next is I'm gonna die. Mm. What's here, what's now, what's present, what's important. So as opposed to my life constantly being as it was, What's the next thing? Where I'm going to go? What I'm going to get? What I'm going to reach? What's the next goal? My focus today in my life is how am I fully present and engaged with the needs of my family? That's my number one vocation. You know, we come here and we're talking about strength coach, we're talking about YouTube. All that is a means to an end. The end is raising my family right and getting them all to heaven. Ultimately, what are you seeking? I'm not seeking anything here. Mm-hmm. Like I said, grace. Grace and sanctification. Mm-hmm. Grace comes by making sure that I am righteous. I'm doing the right thing. I keep my head on straight. Don't have too many addictions. Don't have any too many distractions. Elimination. Let me put it that way. Eliminate, eliminate, eliminate. The more I can eliminate, the better. Mm-hmm. And that in itself is a sanctification process because you got to mortify the flesh. Mm-hmm. My body wants, my body wants all kinds of things, mm-hmm. right? Wants that, that feels good, that looks good, that's dazzling. Mm-hmm. But mortification is the process of dying to that. Mm-hmm. I don't need that. I don't need anything, mm-hmm. right? But 
And it's crazy too. It just seems as if the desires of my heart in my life, I don't know if this is the case for everybody, seem to be aligned with God's. Mm. And so what I've discovered is as I've gotten older is I don't have to try to get anything. I I didn't get this. We're living on these 42 acres. I didn't try for this at all. Mm. I remember dreaming about it when I was younger. Mm. I, I know I had it in my heart that that would be nice but I wasn't trying to make it happen. Hmm. I didn't force anything. And in fact, as the ball started to unroll, I told my wife, I said, if we, ha- if we bump up against any resistance, if there's anything I have to do a little extra or push to get this, I said, I don't want it. Hmm. I don't want anything that doesn't come to me, what? Through the grace of God. Hmm. So I let things go now. I allow my life to unfold. Hmm. And I think back to when I was young and ambitious and I was pushing and I was striving and I was fighting and I was trying, I wasted so much energy. Like for example, YouTube. I didn't do that. I didn't become YouTube famous because I didn't create YouTube. I didn't create the time that we live in that YouTube was a thing, right? That's a grace from God. I didn't, like I said, I didn't try to become YouTube famous. It just happened. I'm just, of course, I was one of the first, which is a grace also, right? Maybe if I started my channel today, I wouldn't be, have been so popular. But a grace from God was, hey, YouTube just came out. You're just starting your life. Have this. So I think back now that I've dealt with my pride to a great degree, mm-hmm. I think back now about even my wife. It's crazy. All the things that have unfolded and shown themselves to be fruits in my life today, I really didn't do it. Hmm. I really can't take credit for it. Yeah, of course not. And it's what you've done as far as just doing what the talent, giving, doing what you've done with the talent you've been given every day has allowed God to give you the path that you've been taking. You could say that, yeah. My father says, wake up every day and do what's in front of you. What's in front of you? What's important today? And as long as you get up every single day and you do what's in front of you, you'll be all right. Absolutely, absolutely. So, one word of advice for, let's say, young 20-year-olds out there, young male 20-year-olds. What's the best thing that you could give them right now if they're watching, listening? So we talk about effeminacy. Mm-hmm. Effeminacy isn't a thing where it makes you a bad person. Yeah. In fact, if you hear that word and you cringe, it's probably because it's a mirror. Mm-hmm. It's showing you something that maybe you don't want to confront. Because we, there's not a man that lives in America today that doesn't confront some form of effeminacy. Mm-hmm. But we got to see it for what it is so that we can create what boundaries around them. The number one form of effeminacy, the one, number one expression of effeminacy is sex addiction for men in their 20s. It's how can I get laid? How can I find a girl? How can I swipe right? How can I get more attention from these women? How can I, uh, or, or it even becomes pornography and how, when I can get home and I can and beat off again or now they have these like sex robots like oh I'm gonna get my sex robot it's all a drain of your vital resources mm-hmm. it's all a diversion of your attention and when it's all said and done completely empty mm-hmm. so 
I know it sounds crazy, especially, you know, I guess I'm ahead of my time. I know I am because some people are going to figure it out eventually. But I say, first of all, the snare of effeminacy as, as it is in regard to uh, sexuality is what has allowed men to become subservient and slaves to women. Mm. You know, simps. Yeah. Simps is, you know, there's a new word they use for it. Yeah. <laughs> but we've all become simps. Mm -hmm. And the reason why we're becoming simps is because we're seeking their sex. Mm -hmm. The only way we're gonna turn this around as a culture is if we weaponize chastity as men. If men stop, if men start having standards and saying no mm -hmm. to these women, feminism seeks to exist and right order will rise. Yeah. It's a tough one because that's what we're, we're most ensnared by. It's everywhere. It's everywhere on social media. It's everywhere on TV. Wherever you look, it's getting blasted into these young males' faces. Yeah. So, and then also, they want to be accepted. So, right. you have to say, oh, I slept with this girl. I slept with that right. girl. And so now it's like a badge of honor. Right. It's okay. I'm, right. I slept with these, this many girls this, this summer. What'd mm -hmm. you do? Right. You know? But it's not a badge of armor. I wouldn't call it a bad, badge of honor if you're obese and you just ate a box of donuts. Mm -hmm. Because it's basically the same thing. You're, set, you're a pleasure seeker. Mm -hmm. You're seeking sensation. The only difference is now you're playing with your soul. Mm -hmm. So maybe the guy who's eating donuts is even better than you. Mm -hmm. Well, some of them do. Some of them actually brag about eating the most donuts, even when they are obese. <laughs> <laughs> or some strong men will tell you that, right. too. <laughs> well, I'll look at you the same way as that guy. Yeah, no, nah, exactly. I think that seeking virtue in general, um, having virtue and understanding it, cardinal virtues included, especially St. Thomas Aquinas talks a lot about that. I think that, you know, fortitude is something that I thrive off of, and that's something that I live off of in in every way shape and form especially when you talk about training when you talk about running a business running a family um you know with that what do you think is missing as far as is it not having a, f a higher level of faith or just living through the times or all all the above i'm not sure your question so i mean with with people in general yeah. you know are they misinformed or are they just putting it away and they're not even trying to look their eyes are closed oh well are we misinformed just look at 2020 post 2020 world all you got to do is look at that and realize wow we've been you haven't just been misinformed the past few years i think oh, most, yeah. a lot of people are waking up yeah yeah, yeah right yeah. and it's been a long strong delusion that mm. we've been under for quite a long time but it got ramped up after the two world wars mm. Since the 1950s, 1960s, we've been taken for a ride, and so we're here now. Mm -hmm. So are we deluded? Yeah. Uh, I agree with you. I mean, that's, that's about all I can put on that, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was gonna say. I think that, you know, for the most part, it's getting closer and closer to identifying the weakest point, and we're getting to that point right now that if you don't make a change personally, you're going to end up in this pool of mediocrity, in this pool of uh, getting away from the ultimate good, getting away from the first cause. And that's obviously going to lead to degradation in the long term. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. You got anything? I have a question. Go ahead. Um, in the beginning of the podcast, you mentioned that your wife has all the degrees and you didn't have any, but you got her to stay home with the kids while you went out to work. 
Now, there's a term going around currently of the high value male, mm -hmm. right? So there's men that are, you know, they're, they're battling with their women currently because they have degrees and they don't feel like they should stay home with the kids or have a family. So how in the, today's age with social media and all that stuff, do you keep that together? Like you have a wife, but you still speak the red pill content. Like how, how, you know, how, how did you get her to go along with that? Like, mm. I, she has all the degrees, but you say, well, I'm gonna make it happen. Well, grace of God, number one, I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't vet her. <laughs> I was a kid yeah. and it just turned out she's a perfect woman for what I needed. Yeah. Um, the truth is that a woman is her happiest when she's submitting to a strong man that has her best interest in mind. Mm -hmm. A woman wants to be able to relax into her femininity. She wants to care for her home and her babies. This is what they're made to do. But what feminism has taught them is that there's something derogatory about that, that that's beneath them. And in fact, you'd be better off being a tax slave and to make money and to climb the corporate ladder and to call some other man boss, but not your husband. You could submit, because every single woman submits to her male boss. You, if your boss tells you be here, you'll be here. He tell you jump, you'll say how high. But the man that you've entrusted your life with, your children with, you can't submit to him. That's why they're miserable, because it's disordered. And so my wife is not a, she's an intelligent woman. She's not a dumb woman. She's a really smart woman. So smart that she knows that if I submit to this man, I'm gonna get everything I want. And she figured that out really quickly. Now, I have a good track record of doing the right thing. I have a good track record of showing that I put her best interests in front. Mm. I understand why women are afraid to do that these days because men are effeminate and they're selfish. It's not natural for women to be, uh, to be out there like a man trying to fight and scratch and, and climb in the world. But also, it's not natural for a man to be dishonest and selfish, self-centered, that's effeminate. So it goes both ways. I don't blame these women for not trusting men because most men are soft. But at the same time, if you, if, as a woman, you keep playing hardball, you keep thinking that, you know, strong, independent, this whole attitude, you're gonna end up miserable. And a lot of women are discovering this right now. A lot of these older women from the 60s and 70s and 80s, now they're old cat ladies, and some of them are honest enough to say something about it, to, be, to admit it. I saw a headline, I reposted it the other day, from the woman who, who was a Hollywood producer, created Sex in the City, oh, Sex in the City, teaching a whole generation of women how to be promiscuous, how to climb corporate ladders, how to be like men in the world, and now she's old, she's lonely, childless, and she admits, I made a mistake. So when, whenever we deviate from the natural order, there's going to be a consequence to pay. Women today are paying that consequence. And if the, if the younger generation doesn't figure it out in time, they're going to suffer the same fate as these old uh, cat ladies now. So how do you combat that with cancel culture that's going on right now? Right? You mean people that don't want to hear what I have to say? They just cancel me. 
I got canceled from TikTok three times. I told you already, right? <laughs> they don't want to hear what I have to say, but I can't help it. I, I got a big mouth, so I have to speak it. And I couldn't speak it with this conviction if, if I didn't have the integrity of living that kind of life. That's why I speak it so con with so much conviction, because I'm like, I have a great life, and my wife has a great life. Let me show you how. We avoided these mistakes, right? You see? And I show my kids, too. I mean, you see how your friend's mother is with her father? Okay, watch. Divorce. You see how their, fa their family is operating over there? You see the difference between me and your mother, right? Okay, watch. Divorce. They were dropping like flies, because we grew up with you know, the same age kids, and you know there was a bunch of different families that we knew when back in St. Petersburg. One by one, dropping like flies. Hmm. So that's a part of the reason why I started waking up. And I realized if I'm going to, if I'm going to speak truth into the world and help, I got to explain to people very plainly what they're doing. There's a reason why it's not working. A, B, C, D, and E. That's why it didn't work. Now, over here, there's a reason why this is working. A, B, C, and D in the other end of the spectrum. But because, of the, because the culture is so embedded in that false, that deluded, degenerate ideal, it, it's like cognitive dissonance when you hear somebody speaking the truth. And so it just happens to be where we are right now. But the truth, will, the truth doesn't need to be defended. All I do is just point it out and you decide. And you know what happens a lot of times? People will listen to me, right? They don't like what I have to say. And I have it time and time again, they come back years later and they're like, man, I wish I listened to you. I, I, now I know what you're talking about. And you have a mentorship, correct? That, that you teach young men uh, these things that, you, that you're talking about, correct? Yep, yep, my King Transformation program, where we just go deep on these various different topics, mm -hmm. right? Because we don't have fathers in our culture. Our culture is a fatherless culture. Even if there is a father in the home, he's usually weak. He's usually beta male. And so it's very difficult for young men to get the guidance that they need. Remember, like back in the day, you used to be like your old uncle. I just made a video about it. I was, I was joking. I was like, your uncle might not even tell you, but old uncle E is going to tell you, tell you the way it is. I kind of feel that role for a generation of men that aren't hearing these things because their dads just don't know. They don't know. They grew up in the 60s and 70s. They grew up with, you know, Woodstock and, and feminism. So the kids are looking around. They're like, why are none of these relationships working? Why are families falling over the place? Why are women so difficult to deal with? They're having a hard time. That's why they spend their time on porn. Well, it's because, and I have to lay out the history. You know, I go as far back as, I mean, you can go as far back as Adam and Eve, because all you got to do is look at what happened in the garden to see the nature of man and woman. There it is. Yep. If you, you mentioned earlier about the natural order things and coming off of that, but like Adam and Eve, I'm a psychology guy, so I have a saying I say with my class where I teach, there's no more saber-toothed tigers. So it's like we've adapted to this, like you said, this new culture of technology, quick and easy. But if you just go back literally 120 years ago, yeah. marriage, love, was about family, like you said, right. survival too. And since we have these modern conveniences, I can go out, well, maybe not here, but I can go like back home in um, Boca for a lot of the area, there's a McDonald's, there's a Wendy's, there's a there's something quick and easy for me to eat, live, mm -hmm. sleep, breathe. So you take that away, we'll be forced. Like you say, hard times make strong men, yeah. strong make me easy times. So it's like that evolution that we've only really seen this for the last hundred years, mm -hmm. give or take. Yeah. So it's like a social experiment. It and that's is. why you say it's failing because we're letting, like I said, especially in the black community, women are kind of the stronger role in the household. Mm -hmm. And it's like 
we're only just now seeing, like you said, the result of that, which is making men who either they're super uh, feminine towards women in the sense of I got to protect women and some call them simps is because their mom was their only hope or their right. only source of a family or it's the opposite. They're ultra violent or ultra mad towards women because their mom was their only sense of resource. And it's kind of like a, a walking contradiction. So yes. it's like it's all playing out on us right now. Yeah, <laughs> it sure is. All right. So last thing. I see a lot of books here. What are the main books? And you give me like your top three that you think that would be beneficial for any man or any any person just trying to live a healthy lifestyle. Well, as we're on the topic of marriage and family, and it happens to be something that I take very seriously because, well, of course, I've lived it. My parents have lived it, and a generation is failing in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the writings of the early Christian fathers, namely St. John Chrysostom. Mm. St. John Chrysostom was a fourth century bishop, third century bishop, uh, who did a series of homilies on marriage and the family. And uh, I have the book here, I pull it out if you want, but the beautiful thing about reading the writings, the early Christian writings, first through, you know, fifth century, is that their words are succinct right to the point. Today they would say he's based. His words are so based because they didn't mince words back then. Now everything is how fancy can you make the term sound, right? Like, you know, brainwashing is now mass formation psychosis. They needed a whole whole new science to say brainwash because, pe- <laughs> because people are brainwashed. But it's because we become so intellectual, so smart that we're stupid. And so that's why you need somebody who just says, boom. And that's what these writings are like. They don't, they don't play politics. They're not playing nice. They're just like even the letters of, of Paul, right? A lot, of, a lot of things that Paul says in his, his epistles and his letters are, are too based for the church. But he just lays it right down there. So I have a, uh, an attraction to old texts, tradition. Don't read new books. It's too, it's too newfangled. Yeah. It's too caught up. If you want the truth, read books that were written in the first, second, third, up to the fifth century. Old stuff. Gotcha. Gotcha. We can always fall back to the Bible for one. Mm-hmm. Yo, that's the oldest one. There you go. That's the first. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's good. And last thing before we go, before we get to this workout and do some other things, uh, where can they find you? And then also, we will talk about the program that you have so we can get this thing rolling for you guys. Well, you can find me on the internet, right? <laughs> Just Google Elliot Hulse. You might find some things that you like and some things that you don't like. People saying bad things about me, people saying good things about me. So you can dive into that world if you want to. Uh, you know, I got a lot of videos on YouTube, probably thousands, thousands and thousands of videos on YouTube. Instagram, so I mean, you know where people are. Programs, where can we get the programs? Uh, King Transformation is my program. I'm creating a webinar right now for it. We've been selling it through uh, Instagram for the past couple of years, but mm. I'm banging out what's going to be one of the most badass webinars ever because I'm going to give you the history of why men are simps today. Mm. I talk about the three reasons why we are where we are, where we're failing so much. And uh, it's a diabolical delusion. We have been, we've been fed a lie. And it's not arbitrary. So, quote unquote, progress, right? Progressives and progress. 
quote unquote progress doesn't just happen. It's it has to be facilitated. And that means great brainwashing must go on. So since the world wars and I give you the history of all this, uh, but since the great world wars, uh, this we have been under a strong delusion that has caused men to you know become weak and for women to become miserable. Hmm. Well, we will do this another time when it comes to the second one, because I think I need to come back and talk to you a little bit more. Just yeah, that'll be fun. For, yeah, just just honestly, it's for my own good, not for anybody else. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks again, my brother. I appreciate you always. All right, you see you guys help. next time.